man, that is beautiful to listen to. It's beautiful to participate in, but wow, it's beautiful to listen to. And uh, I had a great seat. I ended up sitting down front this morning, uh, right in front of many of our uh, young ladies that are sitting right here. And man, y'all did an awesome job. That was beautiful to listen to. I just stopped and just sat there and and it was wonderful to hear and to praise God. Thank you for the way that you've been worshiping this morning, for joining us and being a part. Hey, I hope life is good for you. Hope you're, you're living the good life. We talk about that, right? We, we talk about being able to live life to its fullest, and I hope that you're doing that. Some of you graduates, man, you've never lived this long before, have you? It's pretty awesome right now. For those of you who have just graduated, congratulations. We got a couple more maybe that are coming up during this next week, and it's just a great time of life for these young men and women as they are exploring a new chapter in their life. And they're hearing about how that life will never get any better than this. Have you guys heard that before? It's like, enjoy this now, enjoy college because it doesn't get any better. That's what I heard. And I can remember being depressed because of that. And I was like, really? These next four years of my life are going to be the best? It's not going to get any better? Man, I hope it's going to be good because, I mean, if it's not good, then it's really going to go downhill. Guys, let me tell you, life is what you make of it. And life doesn't have to just be the best for the next four years. Life can be great for your entire life. Hey, we've got some people here graduated years ago, right? Hey, if life's pretty good, give me an oh yeah. Hey, did you hear that? Listen to that. Hey, I heard some were even like, oh yeah. I mean, it was like really good life. Hey, life, man, life is good. But I really think that God wants life to be squared. Let me explain what I'm talking about. We've been going through this study for the last couple of weeks. And we focused on a passage of Scripture from John chapter 10, where Jesus says that there are thieves that have come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. He says, I'm not just coming so that you can have some kind of life. I don't just want you to have an existence. I don't just want you to survive. He says, I want you to have a thriving, full, overflowing, abundant life. It's life squared. It's more than, than what we anticipate. It's more than, than what we think. And so over the last few weeks, we have, we've looked at some truths from Scripture. First one was that you were made by God and you were made for God. You were made by God. You were made for God. It's in Him that you live, and it's in Him that you move. It's in Him that, that you exist. And oh, by the way, you're not an accident. You realize that? You, you did not just happen to appear. It was something that was planned. It was something that was foreknown. It was something that was anticipated. God wanted one of you, believe it or not. He wanted one of you, and so here you are, and you are fearfully, as Scripture says, and and wonderfully made. But as was mentioned earlier in Henry's comments at our communion time, sin corrupted the life that we experience here. And so Jesus, when he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, what he's trying, the point that he's trying to get across is, listen, God wants to restore what has been taken away. God wants to restore what has been lost. God wants to restore what has been stolen. 
Jesus said, there have been these thieves who have come and they have stolen your passion and they've stolen your vitality. They've stolen your very life. Now, the thieves that he was talking about was the people's spiritual leaders. Anybody ever just had the church suck life out of you? No, don't answer that question, especially if you've been here for a while. Don't answer that question. But it can happen. Our religion can just somehow begin to suck the very life out of us. And those whom we want to follow, those whom we want to imitate, sometimes because of choices that they make, because of decisions that, that happen, all of a sudden our very life is affected. We know what it means sometimes to feel like those early followers of Jesus. We know what it means to to have listened to gurus and coaches who said, this is what life is all about, and if you do this, it's going to be great, and if you do this, you'll have success, and, and if you do this, all will go well with you. But God wants to restore what's been taken away. He wants to give you life squared. And here's the thought that we're going to focus on today. God wants your soul to be well. But is it well with your soul? It's a beautiful hymn that we often sing together. And in crescendo, we raise our voice in praise to God and we cry out, It is well. Why don't we sing that together? It is well. Can you just let that echo in the room for a moment? And can you hear that also with the understanding that there are individuals who are here in this room this morning that lied when they just sung that or maybe couldn't sing it at all? Because things aren't well with your soul. And it's evident in the different things that are going on in your life. You see, the more you study the ramifications and implications of the soul in Scripture, the more you begin to realize that the soul is central to your life existence. In 3 John, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. God wants your soul to be well. He wants your soul to be well. That's why John prays that it would, go, it would go just like for your physical life as it's going for your soul. And the focus there is that, listen, your health and wellness, it doesn't move from the outside in, but from the inside out. The verse seems to be saying and implying that until our souls are healthy, our lives aren't going to be healthy. It's just going to be impossible. That means that you and I, we can be the most popular, prosperous, pretty, just all around great people. And yet, on the inside, we can still be empty. You see, until our souls are at peace, until our souls are stable, until our souls are healthy, these external things won't bring us the satisfaction that we long for. And so, when Jesus talks to his followers and says, listen, I'm here to bring you life squared. I'm here to bring you life in abundance. I'm here to bring you something that is more than what you could ask or imagine. He was speaking beyond the reality of a happy, awesome, successful life, just being able to prosper in everyday affairs. 
He was talking about prospering in body and soul. You see, when God designed life, he had far more in mind for us than just our survival. Our existence isn't meant to revolve around somehow being able to escape. Some of you have been looking forward to the weekend. In fact, you've been counting it down. And you had TGIF and you couldn't wait until Saturday arrived because finally the weekend is here. Others of you are looking forward to next weekend because that's the big weekend, right? That's when you get the extra day and maybe the vacations are beginning to be planned and you live for the weekend. You live for the vacation. Or maybe you're living for retirement. You're living for the raise. You're, you're living for something, right? Maybe it's for heaven. And these things are great, of course, and living with an end in mind is, is useful, especially when it's heaven because it helps to, to shape our present. But the more I read the Bible and the more I, I get to know Jesus, the more I realize that this life with all of its quirks and with all of its tragedies, it's meant to be amazing, not because of the circumstances and not because that everything is always perfect, but because our souls have found a home with God. Fulfillment comes from having a healthy soul. So what do we mean by that? When we talk about soul, that's a very churchy word, isn't it? When you come to church, you expect to hear the idea of, of soul. We've been talking about it for a long time. Remember when you're young? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Beautiful prayer until we teach our kids the third verse. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You wonder why the children had nightmares. You wonder why they woke up in the middle of the night and they said, there's somebody under my bed. There's something at my door. It's because we put them to bed with this prayer. But they were thinking about their soul and whether or not the Lord would take it or not. As we get older, we use the phrase, may God rest his soul. When we're hungry, we want soul food. Sometimes we speak of the soul as a spiritual scalp. Certain people are highly regarded as soul winners who are especially good at going out and reaching lost souls. There was a study of hundreds of church attenders and it was found that most of the people surveyed believed that they knew what the soul was and then they were asked to explain it and they couldn't do it. They couldn't. The soul, it turns out, is a lot like Supreme Court Associate Justice Potter Stewart's description of obscenity. He said, it may be hard to define, but I know it when I see it. And that's our soul, right? Many church attenders adopt the Yale psychiatrist Jeffrey Boyd's, what he calls the, the Looney Tunes version of the soul. So if Daffy Duck gets blown up by Bugs Bunny, you know what's going to happen, right? There's going to be this ethereal, almost transparent version of Daffy that will begin to float up above his, his lifeless body and, and there with the harp in his hands and the, the halo around his head and the wings on his back, he will begin to float around and have a conversation with Bugs Bunny. That's just, that's just how it goes in the Looney Tunes world. And for a lot of us, that's just kind of how we think about it when it comes to the soul. It might sound funny to talk about a cartoon when it comes to the soul, but it was Aristotle who said the soul never thinks without a picture. The Bible mentions the soul over a hundred times, and yet we're not given a specific definition that fits every single scenario. But here's a phrase that I found that I kind of like. 
Your soul is the inside you. It's the inside you. King David wrote, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Another translation of that same text says, let all that I am, praise the Lord. See, my soul is the center of who I am. It's the inner me. It's the real me. It's the invisible me that transcends the physical. It's the deepest part of me. It's the whole person. In both the Old Testament and in the New, and also in ancient texts and writings, the soul is often the, simply a synonym for the person. You are a living soul. That is who you are. It is what you are. Your soul is what integrates your will and your mind and your body into a single life. And a soul is healthy when there is harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. You see, when you are connected with God and other people in your life, there ends up being a a health given to your soul. Now, to kind of dig in a little bit deeper to this and give us something that we can chew on this morning, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2. It's the origin of the soul. I think it kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of what Jesus was saying when he says, listen, I've come to bring you life and bring it to the full. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, and the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I want you to think about it for a moment. Adam's body was created first, and yet there was no life. It was a corpse. His system had not been booted up. The lights had not come on yet. He was merely a shell. He was a form. He was not alive. But when did he become alive? When did life enter into his body? It was not until, and it was only when, God breathed into him. And it was at that moment that Adam became a living soul. You see, God's breath is the essential characteristic of the human soul. Anytime we speak of the human soul, we're speaking about the very breath of God being within us. Because the two are just so intrinsically connected. There was no human soul until God breathed. So God's breath defines the human soul. And I guess you could say that because it was God's breath that created our souls, we are literally living on borrowed breath. We live on the borrowed breath of God where God breathed life into our lifeless bodies. God breathed life where there was no existence. And now we are. And now we exist. You see, it's more than just poetry and metaphor. It's intensely and immediately practical. Our souls come from, and our souls depend on, and our souls long for God. He gave us life, so His presence is essential to our ongoing health. God's breath is the oxygen to our soul. Our souls long for God on a fundamental, foundational level because it is His actual breath that sustains us because it's His breath that created us. Now, I know where you are when it comes to the idea of of God. It's a very personal issue, and it's one that, that you wrestle with oftentimes, whether it be in your bedroom or whether it be just driving down the road. And maybe you don't know much about God. Maybe you doubt whether or not the Bible is actually true and if it is trustworthy. You might not be sure what you believe or why you believe it. 
You might be here this morning and you're very troubled about the evil that you see in the world and there's so many different types of contradictions that you perceive in religion or the different competing philosophies that you're surrounded by. Once you know that's all right. I've dealt with many of those things myself and I don't have it figured out. None of the leadership here at this church do. But here's what I do know when I'm honest with myself. I intuitively understand that my inner being is drawn to a strange but it's very real way to a being that is larger and that is bigger and that is higher and that is greater than I am. My soul wants to go home to God. Your soul wants to go home to God. You see, we're nostalgic for Eden. We're nostalgic for that first breath. We're nostalgic for that first relationship, that first walk in the garden. We're nostalgic for that first conversation. I love the story of the little toddler that rushes into the, the baby's room. He was so excited to, to be a big brother. He had waited and waited what it seemed like years, even though it was only nine months. And so finally, it was the day that the little sister was going to be coming home and the room had been all prepared. And those of you who are parents, you know that you, you take great care in those kind of things. And you want to make sure that everything is just right. By the third one, you don't really care. But still on the second one, you're still concerned. And you still want to make sure that everything goes well. And so baby girl was brought and laid down into the crib. And, and big brother comes running into the room. And they had already told him about how that he needed to be very gentle with his new sister and, and how he didn't need to make loud noises and, you know, how he just didn't need to be a boy whenever he was around her. And he goes into the room and the parents went and they were next door in their bedroom and they had the baby monitor on. And they heard the little boy whisper to his sister, tell me what God's like because I'm starting to forget. Our souls long to go home to God. We're nostalgic for Eden. We want to experience again what mankind experienced in the beginning. And we're not an accident. We were created by God and we were created for God. But because of the sin that is in this world, because of the sin that envelops our soul, we lose track, we lose sight. We no longer see clearly, we can no longer hear as we used to. And eventually over time, we forget what he's like. That's why Jesus said, this is life eternal, that you may know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. See, he understands that we need to re-remember how it was in the beginning. See, by chance, if any of you ever travel up to Seattle, you need to go during the time of July and August so you can witness something that takes place at the Ballard Locks. You get to watch salmon as they swim, and they go up this fish ladder that joins the salt water of the ocean with the fresh water of Lake Washington. And amazingly, these salmon have spent their entire adult lives, usually several years in the ocean. But they instinctively know how to return to their birthplace in the streams and rivers that are found there in the mountains. They have a driving passion to return home. 
Now, it's at this point, I guess, that the analogy kind of breaks down because after the fish return home, they spawn and get eaten by bears. So, that really doesn't go with what I'm talking about. But here's the point. Even if salmon understand the desire, the need, the built-in drive to go back to where they started, even if they understand that they don't stop, that they fight through obstacles, even if they somehow know that they can go through contrary currents and wild creatures and all the other things that come to try to keep them from returning home. Maybe something in nature is trying to tell us something. Maybe the reason that we feel restless on the inside is because we haven't been home in a long time. Maybe the reason you have gone from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship is because you have forgotten the primary relationship with God. And you've been hoping that he or she or the next one or that next date, that next marriage, that finally that's going to be what brings you happiness. Finally, that's what it's going to be that's going to bring you contentment. Maybe the reason that you feel restless on the inside Always wanting something more, always wanting to change from one job to another, always thinking if you can have one more new experience, if there can be one more drink, if there can be one more drug, if there can be one more high, just some type of adrenaline rush, if there can be one more thing, then you'll be happy. Maybe you're so restless on the inside because it's been so long since your soul's been home. Maybe it's because that instinctively and intuitively and subconsciously, we are all driven to return to our place of origin. We are driven to God. Just look across this planet. Look among the, the thousands of different religious groups that are in this world. Look across this planet at the number of souls throughout time who have in different forms and in different fashions sought some type of higher power, some type of larger-than-life relationship. How do you explain it? How do you explain the drive for mankind to worship? We're nostalgic for Eden. And oftentimes we search in the darkness and we end up finding something that's not a true God. We end up finding something that is a pseudo God, a replacement. And we put that on the throne in our life and we think, well, this is what it means to finally have life. And yet we still feel so empty. Our souls are home when they return to God. We were created by God and for God, and we will find ourselves most fully alive when we find ourselves in Him and turn our attention toward Him. See, returning to God is the essence of worship. Worship isn't singing, and it's not chanting, it's not even praying, and all the different things that we go through. It's not the rites and the ritual traditions. Those things might help us be able to focus on God, and ultimately, ultimately it might help to bring us closer but Jesus says life is only found in Him. Our souls must learn to lean on Him and to lean into Him. And it's the truest act of worship when our soul comes before our Creator 
and says, let me again feel your breath. You see, I think our soul is the healthiest when it comes back frequently and wholeheartedly to God. That is when we're the most human. It is when we're the most at home. And it's when we are the most alive. So is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? To answer that question, all you need to do is look at the choices that you're making right now in your life. Who or what are you worshiping? Who or what are are you looking towards to bring complete fulfillment? Do you seem restless? Do you seem anxious? Do you keep thinking that if you just had one more day, if it was just one more job, if it was one more paycheck, if it was just one more date, if it was one more whatever, that things would be right? Is it well with your soul? If not, then let me encourage you with the words that you have heard since you were young and saying, now I lay me down to sleep. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Whenever we're together as a body, we we take the time just to encourage one another. Because we believe that you're most alive when your soul is at home. And we look at this time together as being coming home time. Where we come together as brothers and sisters in faith. Brothers and sisters who are a part of the family of God. And we sing to encourage one another normally at this time during a service similar to this. And just offer opportunity to anyone who is homesick. Offer opportunity for anyone whose soul is weak. Just to come and say brothers and sisters spiritual grandparents, spiritual mothers and fathers. Would you put your arms around me? Will you put your arms around my marriage? Will you put your arms around my children? Will you put your arms around my health? Will you, will you put your arms around my job? Will you, will you put your arms around the sin that is eating away at my life? And would you ask for God to breathe new life into me? So that's what we're going to do. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. Where we're going to sing and we're going to pray. And if you'd like the prayers of this congregation for something that is taking place in your life, for something that's going on that has kept you from truly being able to live. I want to encourage you not to be embarrassed, but just to come down, have a seat on one of these front pews. And Is it well with your soul? If not, would you come as we stand and sing?